Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Healthier You podcast. On today's show, we've got physiotherapist and Australian Catholic University lecturer, Dr. Vaughan Nicholson, on the show today to discuss some of the topics surrounding his experience with the older patient and common injuries within this group. Prior to moving into academia, Vaughan worked in private practice physiotherapy for over 10 years, working with many older adults and athletes. His PhD research assessed the effect of group-based exercise interventions at improving balance, strength, and bone density in the middle-aged and older adults. His research continues to focus on interventions aimed at improving strength, balance, and function in older adults. Vaughan's other areas of research extends on his background as a former physiotherapist for the Australian Paralympic swim team. Vaughan is currently involved in research aimed at improving and increasing the evidence base in the Paralympic swimming classification system. Thanks for coming on the show today to chat with us, Vaughan. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Andrew. We are keen to dive into a few of these things. Now, mate, um, as we age, there are a lot of changes that do occur in our bodies. And I guess the big thing that we want to try and start with is how can exercise help to combat some of those, I guess, negative or age-related changes? Yeah, you're right. So as we age, there are a lot of changes and I sort of listed down a few of the changes. I won't I won't go over all of them because the, the list is pretty long and is probably somewhat depressing. But some of the big things, I guess, that we know happen that happen when we age include we have reduction in balance, reduced strength, um, reduced bone density. We have changes in our tendons, which can lead to more issues with um, tendon-related injuries. And a lot of these things we know are, are at least partially related to the aging process. Basically, a, a number of things happen within cells within those different parts of the body. Um, they, they basically don't they stop working quite as well. They don't regenerate quite as quickly as what they do during young and, I guess, middle age. But we also know, I guess, if we're thinking about exercise or physical activity more generally, is that some of those changes that happen when we do age are at least in part, if not more in part, due to our, our lifestyle and activity. So, for example, if we... We, we have age-related changes in our, in our muscle, for example, which leads to reduced strength as we age. And I think um, as I enter middle age, I'm, I'm already <laughs> noticing that. We know that basically from early 40s, we tend to have gradual reductions in strength. But those reductions are, I guess, accelerated if we don't do enough physical activity or exercise, So, which means doing the opposite. So making sure that we're maintaining a physically active lifestyle and undertaking exercise and I guess I'm talking about physical activity and exercise and there's two slightly different concepts so okay. physical activity is basically anything we do that involves movement and energy expenditure um, so that could be walking out out the driveway to go get the mail or it could be going up and down stairs or it could be carrying your groceries in from the car whereas exercise is usually more planned um, it has a, a purpose and usually the aim is to in, improve physical fitness in, in some way. Yep. So as far as exercise goes, exercise can pretty much help <laughs> everything that ha has an age-related effect on it. So whether that be strength, whether that be balance, whether that be bone density. And I guess I can go into a, a few more few more details. I'll go and give you a few examples, um, once again, without having to harp on everything uh, because there's <laughs> a, a big list. But if we think of muscle strength to start with, um, so muscle strength... Basically, we get, we're at our strongest during our, typically during our 20s and 30s, and then we start to get weaker during our 40s and onwards. And we lose, this is a 
bit of a scary stat. We lose 30 to 40% of our muscle mass, so at the size of our muscles from the age of 40 through to our, through to our 80s. Wow. So we lose you know, almost half of our muscle mass um, from middle age through to sort of later old age. Okay. Um, so, so that has a big impact on strength, as you can imagine. The, the bigger our muscles, basically, the more force we can generate. But also losing that muscle size can have an impact on our metabolic health um, as well. So if you think of diabetes, for example, um, muscle mass can have an influence on that. Muscle mass can have an influence on all sorts of things. But um, So we have that big reduction um, in muscle mass, but we also have some changes in our, I guess, the connection between our brain and our muscles as well. So the I guess the way that the nerves communicate with our muscles also changes when we when we age. So the the process between our brain and our muscles slows down, um, becomes a little bit less efficient, which means that we can't generate as much force because we have what we sort of term reduced neural drive. So less less neural or brain input going to the muscles. So we we get smaller muscles and our brain doesn't tell them to work quite as well. So which ends up having a big impact on our on our strength, which whether that impacts our ability to get up out of a chair or walk quickly or climb stairs or if we're a little bit more active, you know, sprint, run, chase down a soccer ball in my case without tearing something, um, then it gets a little bit harder um, as we get older. The I guess the good news is that exercise from any age um, – can help to, I guess, reduce these changes that occur with aging. So there's been stacks and stacks of research done really since probably the 1970s, 80s, looking looking at um, resistance training or strength training in particular. So where you are lifting weights of some description. And we know that doing resistance training, even people into their 90s, there's some really good evidence that people in their 90s can safely and effectively lift Heavyweights, and when I say heavy, I mean relatively heavy um, for 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 the person. So lifting at a high percentage of their maximal lifting ability um, can basically improve their strength, not surprisingly, but can improve their ability to to walk um, unaided, unaided or independently, um, and can lead to ability to um, get up and downstairs, do all sorts of other functional activities that you you could imagine. So I know. Often when I've had patients in the past, when we'd start to talk about resistance training or strength training, they get a little bit freaked out thinking that either it's going to be too hard or it's going to be dangerous. Something that is really clear from all the research is that it's really, really safe. Um, Assuming it's done, you know, under supervision, particularly to start with. And so are are you saying, Vaughan, that everyone should be doing resistance or strength training? Yes. (laughs) Good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so the guidelines are for, for older adults, the exercise guidelines, and so, got to be careful with guidelines because sometimes people get freaked out because there's a lot of um, hours that are prescribed, but basically about 30 minutes of aerobic exercise per day is recommended. So that could be walking, swimming, jumping on the bike, anything that gets your heart rate up basically. Yep. And then in addition to that, two sessions of resistance training per week are the guidelines for for adults but also for adults aged over 65 okay. and the reason for that is like i said obviously it obviously has a big imp- impact on strength but also has an impact on balance and reducing uh potentially reducing falls in okay. older adults as well so yep. there's a number of benefits to um i guess increasing your strength but also potentially increasing your muscle mass as as we get older yep. as well okay and do you mind Vaughan, just quantifying what what we'd classify a uh, an older adult as 
Yeah, so typically anyone aged 65 years or older. Okay. And yeah, you, and so typically kind of 45 to 65 is middle age right. and then 65 and above is older age typically. Okay. And when, and, and I know you said between the ages of 20 and 30, we're kind of at our, our peak strength essentially. What sort of changes occur in your body, maybe more in that, that middle age group that might give you some predisposition to being in a worse position as an older adult? Yeah, so <laughs> this could be good or bad news. A lot, a lot of what we do in young age but then in middle age really predicts what may happen 20, 30, 40 years down the track. Mm-hmm. So we know that people that have had a background in resistance training as either adolescents or young adults, even if they haven't done it for 20, 30, 40 years, if they return to resistance training as an older adult, they're more likely to get um, hypertrophy, so muscle mass gains and strength gains because there's more muscle cells that have been developed at a, at a young age. They basically have an ability to, to do more stuff. Whereas if you haven't done um, as much training um, in, as an earlier age, doesn't mean you can't have benefits, but the benefits might be a little bit slower. So for those that are listening that are, um, <laughs> that are you know, coming into middle age, then get into the gym as well because that'll set you up really well for, for when you're older. The, I guess the other, the other thing is that if you've maintained a relatively healthy weight during those middle age years as well, then that can, that can be helpful. Yeah. Um, but, and so I don't want, I don't want that to seem like if you haven't had a, re, a training background that it means that, that resistance training won't be effective. Like I said, there's been plenty of studies just targeting um, people in their 90s and even there's a, a, a systematic review. So a big paper came out um, earlier this year looking at the benefits of strength training in people aged 90 and above. And there's been, hasn't been a heap of studies in that age group, but there's been a handful and they're all really effective. And the likelihood of getting injured was really, really rare. Was like less than 1% of people end up with a with any issues and if they do it's just like a muscle soreness which you know you or i would get anyway yeah. if we started um going back to the gym wow and were those um research uh were they conducted under the supervision of a physio or an exercise physiologist yeah it's a bit of both so typically there a lot of these studies are, are run um or certainly supervised by exercise scientists or exercise physiologists or okay. physiotherapists yep. but there's certainly and an expert in there making sure that you know they're they're doing the correct technique during the the exercises and they're ma- they're maintaining good form and they're they're not um, I guess pushing themselves beyond their capabilities. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really cool to see even over a twelve week or sixteen week um, up to a six month program the the really huge improvements that uh, even very old older adults um, can get. Yeah, that's really cool. And I guess the the adage of, you know, use it or lose it does come into play a lot, but um, that still shows that, you know, benefits can be made by just starting, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I guess the the thing is if, if you're relatively weak, so if you're really weak, so if you're, for example, struggling to be able to get out of a chair without using your arms, then it means the muscles in your legs, so the mu- your quadricep muscles and your and your glute muscles, the ones at the back of your hip, it means that they're probably pretty weak. But it means that not much um, added strength needs to be added to make a really big difference. Yep. So improving someone's strength in that example by ten or fifteen percent would have a big functional improvement. It would yeah. mean that they would then possibly be able to get out of a chair. Um, 
or be able to walk independently, you know, outside, for example. Yeah. And I guess uh, leading on from that, so that's addressing the physical benefits um, from exercise, but from your your research and your clinical expertise, um, does exercise have any other benefits on other systems in our body, such as, you know, mental health, um, social connectedness, that kind of thing? Yeah, so mental health, it's really, really strong. So both, probably, there's probably more research in aerobic exercise for mental health. So doing your cardiovascular, you know, going for a walk, going for a jog, going for a swim, going for a ride. But it's really, really strong evidence that both for depression and anxiety, um, those symptoms can be reduced markedly by regular exercise mm-hmm. um, and physical activity. And similarly, resistance training, more and more research is showing that resistance training can have similar um, benefits as well. But yes, yeah, certainly getting active or getting more active and that's the thing it's, it's all relative if you're or if you're really sedentary and not doing much activity at all doing just a little bit of activity so even well below potentially those guidelines so i said before that the guidelines are ideally doing 30 minutes most days a week of aerobic exercise if you're doing zero at the moment and you end up doing 10 minutes a day then that can have a really big influence both yep. on your physical well-being but also your mental health yeah um Social connectedness um, depends on, I guess, how you do it. So if you're doing it independently, <laughs> um, exercising independently, then it won't have necessarily a, a big impact. But if if you're walking in a group or you're, you know, you might occasionally see someone at the gym and you, you catch up for a coffee, coffee afterwards, or you're in a group cycling or you're you're playing doubles tennis, for example, then yeah, there's some big inf- um, positive benefits in regards to social connected connectedness. Yeah. Um, and the other one, I guess, is cognition as well. So we know that those that are more physically active, there's a reduced risk of cognitive decline. Um, so the evidence is still mis- a little bit mixed in regards to dementia specifically, but in regards to decline in cognition that we know being physically active um, can help mitigate some of that risk of um, having cognitive issues down the track. Yeah. So all round um, exercise has enormous benefits for the older. Enormous, that's right. You know, if if it was a if it was a pill, then everyone would <laughs> definitely be be taking it. It's it's pretty pretty powerful. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you sort of briefly touched on this a little bit before, but. Um, being a, a, a clinician, it's a sort of a very important decision that I face um, quite regularly in terms of what what's a safe level of exercise for someone to return to after no exercise at all, or a very you know low level of exercise. So, would you would you have any um, advice or guidance on how to make that decision? I guess not not for for my sake, but more from if you know you were someone who was sedentary and then wanted to get a little bit active, should they start to walk 15 kilometres a day or would there be a, a, another kind of way of gauging that? No, so probably don't start doing 15Ks a day. Don't go, don't go out and do the um, Oxfam trail walk as part of your um, aim just to start moving again. Okay. Like, it's a tricky one, I guess, depending on their background and how yeah. much they've done in the past. But I think the the big thing is that, deconditioning can happen pretty quickly. So whether someone has had, you know, six weeks off because of an ankle injury or they've done not much for a couple of years because they've been unwell, for example, it's going to take quite a while for the system to, I guess, get back to where it was. So the big thing is that any reintroduction of physical activity or exercise, it needs to be slow. And sometimes in those first few weeks, it can be painfully slow and frustrating 
for patients. But the I guess the important thing as a clinician that you need to possibly get it across to patients and what I guess what I have done in the past is that we just want to see really minor increments and successes rather than getting a you know, big spike in activity then they they region the cells or they get really sore and they don't want to do anymore we just want to have a little little bits of success along the way okay um and i i think one of the important things that clinicians can do or, or people that um you know just trying to improve their physical activity or, or um, exercise is th- make sure that they're increasing their incidental activities first so if the plan is that you know i want to be able to um do a 5k run um in in the next few months or i want to be able to do a 20k trail walk or i want to be able to do uh the noosa swim next year for example then make sure that you if and and this is assuming someone's like quite sedentary and not doing much at the moment that make sure that everyday activities are ramping up so that means making sure that when they can walk their walking. So that means walking to the train station, walking to the bus stop, using stairs rather than lifts, um, carrying the groceries, you know, parking a bit further away from yep. Woolies or Audi or, or Coles, carry the groceries, not push the trolley the whole way, just so you're gradually increasing your body's ability to tolerate a little bit of load. Yep. And then I think depending on the activity that you're going to do, and this is where I guess um, physiotherapists and exercise physiologists can, can play a bit of a part, is that the physios and ex-physios are usually pretty good at identifying what level someone is at and what level they want to get to and what I guess what they need to do in between to get there so if someone wants to be able to run they need to be able to walk briskly without a drama they need to be able to go up and down stairs without any concerns they should be able to probably go up two stairs without a concern they should be able to do a lot of heel raises you know going up on their tippy toes on one leg without yeah. too many concerns they should be able to do some really small hops without any concerns if if they can't do that or if you're listening to this at home and you can't do any of those things i would not start running yeah. <laughs> i would definitely not start running um and then if you are going to start running we use running as an example because it's often something people want to get back to is that you know we, we tend to and there's no magic formula for this but i'm sure you've tried various ratios of you know mix and matching walking and running when you are going to go back to running, you don't just go back from zero to a 5K run. There needs to be some very small increments yep. within that. And as long as you're getting success along the way, then you can gradually progress and build up. Yep. Um, and I, I think, you know, under the guidance of a health professional, ideally to start with um, would would be beneficial um, for a lot of people. And probably similar if you're coming back to, going back to the gym for example so to say you, you you haven't done much resistance training or strength training in the past or even if you have if you have and you've done some big complex movements like squats and deadlifts probably don't start with them <laughs> when you return to the gym the i guess the guidance um typically is that you start with isolated machine weight exercises um and then gradually build upon them to more complex movements that involve a number of different joints. So an example might be that you, instead of doing a bench press with a big barbell, is that you'd be doing a, a seated machine press, for example. So you don't need to quite as much control and stability across your whole trunk and body to be able to do the movement. So you're doing simple um, movements first and then gradually building up both the complexity of the movement, but then eventually um, the weight and the intensity of the movement as well. Okay. I think um, you did hit the nail on the head with that in in that it's important for someone to 
to start off safely so that they can have a, a long exercise journey and get to that point instead of going for a bit of a boom bust and I'm going to do this all on my own and kind of I'll break myself and then I won't, I'll be injured and then I'll lose motivation and that's just a, a decline that we see all too often in the clinic. Um, and so, mate, exercise is a, a, re- a really big and broad topic and I think you've covered that nicely from that broad aspect sort of thing. But if there are a couple of take-home tips that you could give our listeners on how to exercise safely if they are in that older adult demographic. Yeah. So first one is probably just halfing back to what we were just speaking about is I guess being patient, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, trying to be patient with returning um, to exercise. So because once you do regain a little bit more strength, a little bit more aerobic fitness or a little bit more flexibility, then everything just becomes more enjoyable. So the exercise in itself becomes more enjoyable and everyday activity becomes more enjoyable. So if you can be patient for those first, you know, number of weeks to few months, then it can make a really big difference in the long term. Um, Because like you said, if you push too hard too early, then often you just either lose motivation or you end up being injured and then it becomes a bit of a spiral. And those small increments and little successes on the way they mightn't seem like much over, you know, the first couple of weeks or even the first few months. But when you look back two, three years down the track, then there's been actually a massive improvement on where where you you, you started. Yeah. So those tiny little in- increments and improvements over weeks and weeks mean a lot over over a couple of years. Yeah. So be patient, I guess, is number one. Um, number two, um, that I I would recommend seen a physio or exercise physiologist if you are starting out if you haven't done much in the past even if even if you haven't been injured necessarily but you just haven't had much of an exercise background for the last number of um, years or, or several months at least then a, a physiotherapist or exercise phy- physiologist can I guess try to work out where strength flexibility coordination deficits might be and where your base is so then you know where to work from what you need to do to be able to get to your goal whatever that goal is whether that's doing Kokoda whether that's you know just doing a 5k walk with your friends or doing park run on the weekend then knowing your starting point and where you need to get to um, some guidance from a physio or an ex-phys can be really helpful Um, in in saying that as well if you've got any underlying health conditions such as as cardiovascular concerns um, then we're seeing a GP as well before starting on um, a new exercise program as well just to make sure it's safe. And the other thing, um, and it sounds like I'm plugging multiple um, health professions here, but <laughs> something that a lot of people, I guess, neglect um, and it can have an impact on their improvement and gains is that their nutrition and their sleep. If you're going from nothing so going from being sedentary to then, you know, a few months down the track, you might be, say, doing a walk a few times a week and maybe going to the gym a couple of times a week to do strength training, for example. Your body's going to need fuel to do that. It's going to need some sort of nutrition to do that. If you're still eating the same as you were when you were sedentary and you're now adding this um, physical activity and exercise onto it, your body is probably not going to do as well as it could. Um, similarly, if you're working harder, so you're no longer sedentary, you're actually doing a bit of exercise, um, going to the gym, for example, then you need some recovery and rest as well. So sleep becomes really important. So, you know, I think we, we know, we think about nutrition and sleep at that elite level. You know, we know it's really important and really highly monitored um, in elite sport. But the same is true. It's true for your weekend athlete or someone that's just trying to increase their exercise and physical activity is nutrition and rest and sleep habits are really important. So it might mean that you need to speak to a, 
a dietitian potentially regarding your nutrition, but at, or at the very least, just being aware that your diet may have to change yep. or, or be modified when you start to get more active. Yep. And I guess if you were to see potentially your um, physiotherapist or exercise physiologist first, they'd be able to help you to determine whether you need to see a GP or um, a dietitian or podiatrist or, or someone in that that medical health team to um, to get you on the road. To yeah, exercising. definitely. Yeah. All right, Vaughn. Well, um, thanks, mate, for coming on the show today. Uh, I certainly learnt, learnt a lot and I'm sure our, our audience will. And, and we look forward to the next episode where we'll be diving into a few more topics surrounding osteoarthritis and osteoporosis. So, guys, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review. 